Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to uh, get out your Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning in the back, we have uh, some copies available for you as well. Um, or if you have an electronic device, um, you can go to uversion.com um, or Bible Gateway uh, to download uh, the Bible onto your phone. Um, uh, isn't a blessing to be able to have technology, amen? <laughs> uh, you can get all kinds of versions and you can look back at the Hebrew and the Greek and all. you can be a, a Bible expert just by way of the internet and a few commentaries that you can look up, amen? And so um, we're thankful in the Lord that we have the opportunity to use these uh, different tools. And so it doesn't matter how we get our tools as long as we uh, join together in um, spending time in God's word um, and in studying God's word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading this morning from Exodus chapter number 20, Exodus chapter number 20. Um, and uh, as uh, you are turning in your Bibles to there, just a few announcements. I just want to thank um, uh, all of the Mars Hill and High Rockers um, for um, your support. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I appreciate about the body of Christ is that we are family together. And uh, a couple weeks back, we shared um, about one of our family members who was um, uh, building, uh, who's a student uh, at Berkeley and plays with our band. And uh, I shared about uh, his building, which had caught on fire. And I just want to thank you for your support, your kindness, um, your generosity. And um, we blessed him and, and made sure that he has all the necessities and needs. Um, that he has. And that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. Amen. Um, when when one part of the body is hurting, we're all hurting together. And so we come together and support one another. And I just want to say thank you to High, uh, High Rock and Mars Hill um, for your support for that. As we look to the word of God this morning, um, we're continuing in a series entitled King Jesus, I Pledge Allegiance. And this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at a passage from Exodus chapter number 20, and I'll be sharing a message entitled Challengers to the Throne, Challengers to the Throne. And so if you have uh, Exodus in your Bible this morning, uh, as is our custom here at uh, High Rock and Mars Hill, would you stand with us as we read uh, the word of the Lord this morning. And one of the things that I think is important as we read the word of the Lord, after we share in the word of the Lord, we repeat, um, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be unto God. And one of the things that we're reminded is that that's not just something that we repeat because it is a form or fashion that we're doing, but we are affirming that as we're reading the word of God, this is the word that God has given unto us. It is living and breathing and we can apply it to our lives. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, as the word of God has said. And we, we see God's word as the ability to be able for us to live the life that he's called for us to live. So as we receive the word of God this morning and as we affirm it this morning, let us do it with a heart uh, of gratitude of what the Lord has said unto us. In Exodus chapter number 20, starting at verse number one, uh, this is a very familiar passage and it is Moses, uh, as Moses, the Lord is giving the uh, instructions to Moses and it reads in verse one in the New Living Translation, then God gave the people all these instructions. Verse number two, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. 
verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we pray that as we share in your word this morning, Lord, you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, and that as we receive the word this morning, Lord, it might be life unto us, that we may be able to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. At some point in our lives, whether we are religious people or irreligious people, we have heard of the mention of the Ten Commandments. Um, they are the bedrock of the Christian faith and have shaped many of even our secular institutions, uh, even in the Judeo-Christian world view. Um, if you're like me, um, around Easter time, you'll know that ABC puts on a special of the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and all of those, and, and you just sit around and watch the presentation of the Ten Commandments. And I actually, as I was researching it this morning, they've been doing it every year since 1973, except for one year that they've aired um, the Ten Commandments movies. Um, but, you know, one of the interesting things I think about is that, you know, when you look at the film or when you think about the Ten Commandments, a lot of times in our minds or the way that we associate the Ten Commandments, we think of it much like a archaic or arcane thing that happened in the past. It is a memorial or a statue. It is something that if you're learning history or if you're interested in history, we think about the Ten Commandments, but it, it, it oftentimes doesn't have much relevance to our present day life. It's thought of as a relic of our forefathers, something to admire, but not something to build our faith upon. As we have been studying our series on King Jesus, we've been looking at what it truly means to pledge allegiance to Jesus as Lord over our life. And what we've been saying is that Jesus does not want to just be our homie, our sidekick, our friend when we need him, or the person that we just call when we are in trouble. He wants to truly be Lord, capital L, over every aspect of our lives. And in order for that to happen, it must mean that we must be willing to submit everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So it means we have to give access to Jesus into every area of our lives. He wants to know about our marriages. He wants to know about our children. He wants to know about our career. He wants to know about our relationships. He wants to know about how we treat the poor. He wants to know about every aspect and everything that is going on there, and he wants to be Lord over all of those areas. 
areas. Now, as we began talking about that last week, we talked about the fact that when we make Jesus Lord, it means that we have to let go of the worldly way of looking or approaching things. It doesn't mean that we don't use common sense, but they all must fall in line to the lordship of Jesus Christ and what Christ has instructed us to do. The common sense way is that if someone hits you, you hit them back. That's the street code. That's the way that you handle situations. But Jesus comes and says, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. He says, listen, for your enemies, it's good to hate them. That was the common street code. But Jesus comes in and says, not only love those who love you, but love your enemies as well. He begins to flip upside down and turn countercultural everything that we knew or understood and begins to give us a new ethic, a new ethos, a new way of living. And one of those is encountered in Matthew chapter number 5 in verse number 17 as Jesus recounts these words as he instructs this. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear and its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus begins to teach and begins to instruct them and he begins to reorient his audience to understand under the new covenant what is our posture or how do we look at the old system and the Ten Commandments and other instructions that the Lord gave? And our orientation to the Ten Commandments is now an orientation of grace rather than law. However, understanding these instructions and other instructions that the Lord gave helps us to understand how to make Jesus truly Lord of our lives. So this morning, our text reminds us of the first two commandments. You probably heard them. You probably recited them. Maybe some of you were in schools where you had to learn the Ten Commandments and had to be able to talk about them or recite them. But in, in paraphrase format, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment is that you shall not make for yourself any idols. You shall not make for yourself any idols. I hope to share this morning how these two commandments shape our lives today and how our diligence to obeying God's commands help us to truly make Jesus Lord of our lives. To introduce today's message and to give context, I'd like to borrow from one of my latest favorite movies. Now, uh, I'll give the caveat, it's been out for over 10 months, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry for the spoilers. Catch up with the times. <laughs> How many people have seen the movie Black Panther? Let me see. 
All right, we, we, so you'll understand my references that are here. For those of you who don't understand it, go on the internet, watch a small trailer, you'll understand it. But those of you who understand the storyline of Black Panther, it starts off with centuries ago, five African tribes that came together and a, there was a meteorite that came in there and it brought to them a metal called Oh, come on, where are my Black Panther fans at? Vibranium. Now, the power in vibranium, and it has the ability to heal, it has the power to do these great, wonderful things. And so what we begin to see is that this heart-shaped herb, um, uh, it was, a uh, was ingested by the first Black Panther, and um, he had represented one of the first five, uh, one of the five tribes that made up Wakanda. Come on, we're my Wakanda forever, people at. All right. So you're getting the story here. Black Panther is there, and as time pass, passes, the Wakandans use vibranium to develop highly advanced technology and while simultaneously isolating themselves from the rest of the world and posing as a third world country. Now, as it would happen, happen the king of Wakanda, T'Chaka, dies, and his son, T'Challa, returns home to Wakanda to take the throne. At his kingship ceremony, he is challenged for the crown by another head of a tribe called Mbaku. And so I actually brought today, many of you know that I'm, uh, my family is from Ghana, West Africa, and so I actually brought one of the chairs, the chieftain chairs that we use uh, in Ghana. And in many of our tribes or places, the chief will have a chair that is made and custom made for the chief, and this will be the place or the seat of leadership that they will sit in, and as they sit there, they represent the tribe and and so there is a place of leadership and we saw in the movie that there were T'Challa who was the rightful one who was supposed to be in the throne but there was M'Baku who came to try and challenge him for the throne. Some of you might remember, it's challenge day. That was a part of the movie, and my sons, they, they get excited, and as the drums and, and the excitement comes along, and after the, the fight goes and ensues, T'Challa is fighting against M'Baku, but T'Challa overrides at the end, and he rightfully takes the seat or the throne that belongs to him. Now, in American culture, we think of stable democracy. Now, I know that in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of challenges that have been going on, but we have never thought about what it would be like to have either a coup or a challenge for the throne of leadership. Part of what we pride ourselves in democracy is an orderly transition of leadership. And so we have elections, and, and, and those elections, results come out, and then someone takes a seat of leadership and then whoever was in there uh, before allows the person to peacefully go into that throne. But in many countries and in many places, what you'll see is that even though there may be someone on the throne, there are challenges that are rising up 
to that throne. I give this context because if we are going to understand today's message about challengers to the throne, we have to understand in a society or in a metric where it is not simply an aspect of democracy, but an aspect where there are others who are vying for the seat of power in our hearts, and it is a seat that belongs only to Jesus Christ. But what we will understand is that as we go throughout this life, there will be challengers to the throne that will come and try to take the seat that belongs to Jesus. And when it happens, we've got to recognize those who are illegitimately in the seat that only belongs to Christ Jesus and how we can be alert and aware when others are creeping in to take the seat that he only should occupy. Today, our message is to not only help us recognize that Jesus wants to be Lord of our lives and call each and every one of us to a new way of living, but pledging our allegiance allegiance to Jesus means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we demolish every stronghold that challenges Jesus's lordship over our lives. You may not realize it even right now, but even right now at this very moment, there are challengers to the throne that are vying for the place that Jesus has in your heart today. And if you are not aware of it, they will slowly slide in and take the seat that belongs to him. What do I mean by that? How does that happen? Well, if this seat was only meant to be occupied by Jesus, too often imposters will come and occupy that seat. And if I can borrow another reference to Black Panther, there are times when Killmonger will come in and occupy the throne, but it never belonged to him. How does this happen? Well, there are two groups of challengers to the throne that I want to talk about today. And we find these from the passage that we read in Exodus this morning. The first group of challengers is what most of us think about when we think about challengers to the throne of leadership, of the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is described in the second commandment that we read today. Thou shalt not make for thyself an idol. The best reference to this is actually found in Exodus chapter number 32. We don't have time to read throughout the whole story, but let me recap. Uh, suffice to say, the Lord uses Moses to deliver the people of Israel. And as he is taking them on the journey, Moses, the Lord calls up Moses to the mountain and he begins to commune and talk with Moses. He's given him the instructions, the Ten Commandments. And while Moses is up communicating with God, the people are down back in the in the camps and the people start to get restless be careful when you're restless because when you're restless sometimes you make decisions that uh, boot out Christ from the seat that he deserves because of your restful restlessness and that is why the Lord wants to give us peace 
in every aspect of our lives. And so when we have peace through knowing that the Lord is with us and that he's sustaining us and keeping us, it allows us that even when there are times that are anxious, there, there, there's anxiety, times when there are things of difficulty, we don't just start making decisions because we feel anxious, but we trust in the lordship of Jesus Christ and trust in the way that he is leading us. What happens when they got anxious? Look there in, in Exodus chapter number 32 and verse number one. It says, when the people saw how long, come on, say with me how long. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. Sometimes in times of transition, we get anxious. We want things to happen this way or that way, or we want things to fall into motion. And when the people saw how long it was uh, taking Moses, they went to Aaron. And when they went to Aaron, he, they said to him, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. And verse number 32, so Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. So he starts to go around and collects all of the gold. And you know what happens as he's collecting all the gold? He throws it into a fire. And I love later when Moses confronts Aaron about what happened. I love his explanation because this sounds like one of the explanations one of my three-year-old or, or six-year-old children would give. He says, I don't know what happened. I just took the gold and I threw it in the fire and poof, a golden calf just appeared. I don't know. Daddy, I don't know how the room got messy. I mean, I just came home and someone must have been there when I was at school and they took out every single piece of my clothing and threw it on the floor. I don't know how that happened, Daddy. Daddy, I don't know how all of the food got on the floor. Someone must have come attack my plate and must have thrown it all on the floor. And so Aaron creates this golden calf and they all begin to gather around and begin worshiping this golden calf and out of it the Lord burned with anger because he says you have made a graven image and instead of worshiping me you have now worshiped this graven image now when we think of challengers to the throne of the lordship of Jesus Christ, most of us in our minds go to this notion or what I call grouping of challengers. We say, or we look at our lives and say, well, do I have any statues in my life? Do I have any uh, Buddhas or representations of other foreign gods in my house? And we think to ourselves, well, if I don't have any of these images, I'm not, I don't have any idolatry or I don't have any challengers in the throne, challengers to the throne in my life. Now, uh, I want to deal with this for a moment because we're at a time or a precipice where uh, even the act of creating idols and things that we worship is resurfacing in this day and age. Now, uh, 
most of us will think, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Joseph? What is going on? Well, these items do exist. And in America, while we don't always think of the prominence of idols in the public square, we are having a time where graven images have taken prominence. One area that has been evident is in the use of Confederate symbols and their connection to Jesus and Christianity. In a recent article, a Mississippi guest columnist referenced how the Confederate flag, listen to this, was a sacred symbol of the Judeo-Christian worldview that should be displayed in our churches and courthouses with affectionate reverence and underlying remembrance. Now, my point is not to bring up a debate about a Confederate flag or the American flag. But my point is that anything that takes the prominence of Jesus Christ, even symbols that are representative of our heritage and other stories, those things sound awfully like a golden calf. And we've got to be able to make sure that when we see those challengers to the throne, and those are the most obvious ones, that we recognize that if I pledge my allegiance to Jesus Christ, it means that everything bows at the name of Jesus Christ, and we've got to be able to let it go to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the seat that belongs only to him. The second group of challengers, which I want to spend the time this morning uh, 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 um, uh, uh, working through, is what we see in the instruction in the first commandment. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. There is an ancient and modern day phenomenon. We make God's lower G in our heart and allow them to occupy our hearts. Remember what was happening when the Lord had took the children of Israel and he was bringing them into the promised land. Remember what the Lord said. Let's look here at this scripture. I think this will be helpful for us this morning. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. If you have your Bible, you can turn to there in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter number 8. I know we're going through a couple of verses, but I think it will help you to understand this aspect of challengers to the throne. Deuteronomy chapter number 8 and verse number 10. Now the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel. And here they had went from a place where they were in slavery, where they're in bondage, and the Lord was bringing them out of those places of desperation and bringing them into a place where they would say that it would be a place flowing with milk and honey. You ever been in a desperate place in your life and You've asked God, Lord, I need you to show up in this place. I need you to show up in this season. I need you to show up for me. And they knew what it was like as they were going. You remember, they would groan and complain. And finally, the Lord gets them and brings them into the promised land. And this was one of the instructions that he gave to them in Deuteronomy chapter number 8. He says, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But this is the time to be careful. Say with me, careful. Careful. 
If you are going to recognize challengers to the throne, you must be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud. If you have a pen, underline that. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued from slavery, you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. I found as a pastor, one of the biggest challengers to the throne of Jesus having lordship over our lives is experiencing success and the fruit of God's goodness. And the reason why is not that because God doesn't want to give us success or not that because that is a bad thing, but because when we experience success and goodness, we have to be ever more vigilant to not let that success, not let that goodness go to our head and become prideful and think, I've done these things by my own strength, by my own power, and by my own ability. When we do those things, we remove Jesus as Lord over our lives, and we place ourselves in the seat that only belongs to him. The admonition is not that we shouldn't experience success, but the admonition is that when you experience success and the goodness of the Lord, stay humble, stay worshipful, and keep Jesus Christ on the throne that he deserves. I, I never could figure it out, but as a child, whenever someone would go to my mother and they would say, oh my goodness, uh, you know, that was such an amazing time, or, or they say, you know, uh, uh, you know what, that was such a good pot roast, and my mom would say, oh, I just give thanks to God, and I'd be like, mom, just say it was good. Yeah, I know, I put my foot into that pot roast. It was good. For those of you who don't know, um, that's a vernacular uh, saying that we have. We don't literally put our feet into the food, but that, that means that it was good. It's kind of like how, you know, like, that was bad, but that really means it was good, you know, like. So that was a, a compliment. <laughs> and whenever that would happen, the first thing out of her mouth was, oh, I just thank God. It's nothing but God. And, and I used to be like, oh, Mom. You don't got to be deep all that time. 
But I really began to now understand that was her method that she wanted to make sure that no matter what happened or no matter what took place, she was determined that it would always be credit to the Lord's doing. In all the things that she was able to do, she did not want the attention to be drawn to her. She wanted it to be drawn to the God that she served and said, I'm thankful for the ability that he's given in my hands. I'm thankful for the mind that he's given to me. I'm thankful for the children that he's given to me and all of those things. Even with the work that I've done, I cannot be proud enough to even say that it was me who did it. I will say it is thanks be unto God who opened that door. So what does this mean? It means that one of the areas or the second group of challengers to the throne that we must become aware of, oftentimes the challenge about it is that they are good things. Say good things. And oftentimes we think good things. Oh, man, it's a good thing. But sometimes even in the good things, when they have a place that God never designed them to be, they then begin to take a seat that God never designed for them to have. I uh, shared the testimony, and and some of you have heard this, but I remember when I was single, and and some of you who are um, uh, single here today and desiring for a mate and desiring for uh, companionship and, and the blessings of marriage. I remember um, I was in a season where I was so occupied with the idea of marriage. And you don't have to raise your hand. You could just say amen in your heart. <laughs> and in that occupation, it got so much so that, you know, I would go to church and someone would just, you know, shake my hand and say, hi. And I'm like, Lord, is that the one? And, and you know, I'm just, I'm just praying and, and, you know, I'm like, do, do, I, do I feel an anointing when, you know, they shook my hand? And, 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 and you know, I, I, it became everything that I could think about. Now, what the Lord said to me was that, Marriage is a good thing, and we, when we read in the scriptures, that's a good thing, and it is a blessing from the Lord. And, and it was not that that wasn't a bad thing to desire or to want, but I had allowed something that was a good thing now to take lordship over my life because I now could not operate without this whole idea of marriage occupying every part of my space. Uh, let me be honest and share my testimony. I was in a space where I thought I was incomplete without marriage. You know what that does to you? It makes marriage sit in the seat. And so as a result, you now have to worship at the altar of marriage rather than worshiping at the altar of the Lord who formed you and said that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That now, now, and we begin to take that and that was my crucible. But each of us may have different crucibles of things that the Lord is saying that be careful because even in the good things, don't let them have so much prominence that they now become challengers to the throne and take over the place that God designed for them. The, the best example of one of the most prominent challengers to the throne 
in modern day America is money and finances. Money and finances. We recognize that Lord even tells us, you don't work, you don't eat. We recognize that, you know, as much as you love God, if you go up to the rental office and say, I love God, can I get an apartment? They'll look at you and say, I love God too. Put down a $1,500 deposit and we'll talk to you a little bit later. And so we recognize money as a currency, but money was never designed to be the thing that we worship. And what can happen is that even in our quest to, you know, be upwardly mobile, to be able to provide resources for our family and to provide things, it is very easy that what happens is that money can become a Lord unto itself. And Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, no one can serve two masters. And he says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, It doesn't say money is evil, but the love of it. And the love of it or the subservience to it causes us to worship it or have a posture towards it that God never designed for it to be. What are other areas of our lives that we have to watch out that can be challengers to the throne? Even family can be a challenger to the throne. What are other areas? Sex and sexuality can be a challenger to the throne. Seeking of power, authority, and recognition can be a challenger to the throne. Your career can be a challenger to the throne. Your possessions can be a challenger to the throne. Now, this is the part where I'm going to get real controversial. You know what else can be a challenger to the throne? Your religious practice. Oh, we got real quiet in here. I know as a pastor, I'm not supposed to say religious practice can become a challenger to the throne. What do I mean by that? What happened when Jesus came? The the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were so consumed with their religious practice that they lost the heart and the essence of God. And they lost the essence of what God wanted for them and what it meant for Jesus to be Lord and God to be Lord. That they were so consumed with their practices. Did he heal on the Sabbath or did he not? Did he do? this in violation of the law. And so their religious practices became their Lord. And we've got to be careful that even in what we do, our religious practices don't become a Lord unto ourselves. I want you to come to church and be a part of God's body, not because me or Josh are going to look at you and say, "Mm, I don't know if you're still a verified member of High Rock or Mars Hill. I want you to come because you love God and you love his people. And even though some of God's people may get on your nerves every once in a while, you still love them with the love. Some of y'all are going to go to Thanksgiving dinner with that cousin that you always got issues with. But you know that you'll come in, you'll hug them, you'll say, oh, it's good to see you and everything else. And that's the beauty. We are God's family. We will have challenges in God's family. Sometimes, just like siblings, we will have arguments or disagreements agreements. Sometimes we will get frustrated with one another. But you know the beauty of family is that when we have those
those frustrations, frustrations, we come back together and we say, we're a family. Let's talk this out. Let's work this out. Let's deal with those things. And so in the midst of that, even our religious practices are done or should be done out of a love for God rather than a spiritual obligation that we checked off. I've done this on Sunday. God, can I go back to the rest of my life? No, we do it because we Jesus is Lord over our lives, and so I want to grow and be more like him. And you know one way to be more like Jesus? Get around people who get on your nerves. Get around people who are different from you. Get around people who don't think like you, talk like you, and learn how to love them. I mean, can I just say an aside? Could you imagine if you were Jesus and you've come down to the earth and you're walking alongside of your disciples? You're like, okay, I've taught you, go out and do. I'll give you plain instructions. And they can't heal, they can't deliver, they can't do anything. And you're like, man, I spent all this time with you. And you can't do that. But what did Jesus do? He kept on investing. He didn't give up and say, oh, well, they didn't do it right the first time, so I'm done with them. Oh, they didn't say the right code words, and so, you know, I can't really talk to them. They don't really understand my life. No. He went beyond barriers. He went beyond challenges, and he began to speak into them and said, listen, I'm going to keep on pouring into them. I'm going to keep on sharing with them. And so what happened as a result of it? They were faithful disciples. So how do we deal with these challenges to the throne? I'll leave you with just three statements to ponder on. And you can think about these, write these down. The first statement is this. The throne is always occupied. It is either occupied by Jesus as Lord or by gods or idols that we allow to sit on the throne. Let me say that again. The throne is always occupied. Someone has lordship or something has lordship over our lives. It's either occupied by Jesus or it's occupied by something that we allow to take the throne. There is no absence. There is no nobody's on the throne. Something or someone will always take the throne. The second statement is every believer will experience challenges to the throne of our heart. Don't be overwhelmed. Be prepared. In a democratic society, we can't think of what it would be like for a coup or someone to come and to challenge our throne. But in the recognition of Jesus as Lord over our hearts, challengers to the throne will always be present. They'll come from when we're in times of transition. They'll come when we're in times of success. They'll come when we're in times of failure. Be prepared. Don't be overwhelmed. Finally, number three, while it is important that we actively put Jesus on the throne, most of the challengers to the throne come from ongoing neglect of the one who rightfully occupies the throne. Let me demonstrate this to close out this morning. Uh, Deacon Taboy, would you come forward, please?
what we've been sharing over the last couple of weeks, and uh, Deacon Tomorrow, would you have a seat on the on the on the chief? You represent Jesus sitting on the throne, and. What we recognize is that we actively need to put Jesus on the throne of our heart. How do we do that? We actively put Jesus on the throne of our heart by saying, Jesus, I submit my life to your lordship. I thank you for what you did by dying on the cross for my sins, and I commit myself to your lordship. I relinquish my control. Ah. But I willingly give it into your hands. This is the active part of putting Jesus on the throne. But the challenge is most of us live off of a commitment that we made, whether it was a year ago, a month ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. We put Jesus on the throne, but then what begins to happen over time is we neglect reaffirming Jesus' role and lordship over our lives. You know what worship is for? I know a lot of us, we think worship is that, oh, man, that's when I come in and I just, I feel that, you know, special feeling when we come and, and Jason sings that song. Oh, come to the altar, his arms are open wide. And we just feel, oh, man, it feels so good. But worship, yes, it's designed for you, but it wasn't about you. Worship repositions and realigns God and Jesus in the position that he deserves to be and puts our problems, our situations, our challenges in the rightful place and the rightful posture. And every knee must bow under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Worship gets us back realigned. Any of y'all went to a good chiropractor? A good chiropractor will be able to put you back. Ooh, they'll knock something right back into place that had been out of alignment. Worship was designed to get you realigned. But when you don't have authentic worship, what begins to happen is not so much that someone comes in and, and you know, Deacon Tamoy is a strong and he probably can lift more than me. And the challenge is that challengers to the throne don't come in and just knock them out of the throne that way. You know how challengers to the throne come in? They come in through neglect. And so instead of allowing Jesus to stay in his rightful position, we begin to forget about Jesus. And so what happened was that something that was slowly sitting on the throne begins to edge out. Yeah, you, you can go. Why don't you go have a seat over there? <laughs> and long before you know it, now my career has, oh, man, I'm, I was just going to get my Ph.D. And, you know, it's, it's just it's important because I'm the first one in my family that needs that. And God wants that. But he never wants that to take the throne that he alone deserves. And so what does he ask you to do? What he asks you to do is that he says, place him back on the throne. Deacon Tomoy, come back to the throne. <laughs> 
And now, when you have your situations and your challenges that you're facing, instead of allowing them to take the seat, you now begin to bring them and you bring them to the altar of the one who is Lord over your life. Musicians, just come forward and just begin playing. So what is the Lord asking for us? He's asking us that if he is going to be Lord over our lives, that means he wants every one of your challenges and situations. He wants you to lay them at the altar of his lordship and allow him to be able to speak into every area. Because if the Lord is truly Lord over our lives, he doesn't just take the good stuff and says, I don't want to deal with that. That's too difficult or that's too heavy. But he begins to say every part, if I'm going to be Lord, I take responsibility. So you begin having challenges at your workplace. Instead of going and freaking out, you begin to go and say, Lord, how can we improve? How can, how can this work out better? Is there anything in me that needs to change so that my situation can change? And so what I'm challenging us today, Mars Hill and High Rock, is that there are often the big grand challengers to the throne that we think about. The idols that we build up or the things that we can see visibly. But one of the greatest challenges to the throne are the items that oftentimes they're good, oftentimes they're beneficial. But if we don't keep them in proper perspective, at the end of the day, they'll take a seat that was never designed to belong to them. Thank you, Deacon Tamoy. In just a moment, we're going to Sing the song that we sang during worship this morning. The words of this song are an invitation. And what is the invitation that is being given to us? It's an invitation to do something different than the world tells us to do. One of the most prominent book categories is self-help. How can I fix it on my own? How can I make it better on my own? The crux of Christianity is not that we don't put in work or that God just magically turns our situations around. I, I'm a witness that it, sometimes it takes a lot of work. But I don't work in my own strength. I release it to the one who is Lord over my life. And with that, he leads and guides me. So that in every situation, I can have peace. Even while it may be raging all around me, there's peace in the midst of the storm. In just a moment, we're going to sing this refrain.
And I just want to open up this altar here this morning. And maybe there's something you've been dealing with in your life. And maybe as the message went forth today, you recognize that, man, I've had some maybe situations that have been trying to creep as challenges to the throne. Areas of my life maybe that I never intended for them to overtake me, but maybe I've gotten overwhelmed. Can I be honest with you? It can happen to the best of us. Those of you who know part of my story, last year I was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease, started dialysis. It revamped and changed a lot of my life, a lot of things that were going on in my life. And in the midst of it, I got so consumed with all the health challenges and everything that was going on that the time that I had set aside in the mornings for God, the time that I had set aside just to commune with God, I didn't have time for that anymore. I didn't have time to just spend time worshiping God. And so I got to a place in a season where the challenger to the throne became the health challenges that were in front of me. Not to mean that these health challenges aren't real. But in the midst of it, I said, Lord, I, I just need to get back to a place where I'm in right relationship with you. And I recognize there's work that I got to do and there's things that are happening and things that need to take place. But I don't want my health challenges to be the Lord of my life. I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord over everything. So as the worship team ministers this song this morning, would you just take a moment just to close your eyes and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life right now that I've allowed to become a God in my life? Lower G. Lord, is there anything in my life right now that I have not submitted to your lordship? And Lord, if there is anything, I want to come and lay it at the altar this morning and give it over to you. Would you receive our response this morning?